You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. I speak to you today in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> My preaching style is normally very exegetical, you know, looking at a text and trying to figure out the words, and for some reason that's not what's going on today. I want us to look at themes of seeking, seeing, finding, and being found. And the story of Zacchaeus has to do with seeing and seeking, being sought, finding, and being found, both on his part and on Jesus's. And now the story gives us a few details about Zacchaeus. He's in Jericho at the time that Jesus is passing by. He's a chief tax collector. He's rich, which follows being a tax collector because they extorted from the people they raised the taxes from. Finally, he's short. But an important detail that might be missed is that Jesus is trying to, Zacchaeus is trying to see who Jesus is. We're not told that Zacchaeus wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. You know, this isn't like a parade going by that he wants to see. He wants to know who Jesus is. But he knows, because he's short, that unless he does something, he's not going to be able to see who this Jesus is by watching him. And this is not because he's blind, right? Because in the story just preceding this in Luke, Jesus heals a blind man. But in this story, Zacchaeus is short. He doesn't need Jesus to heal him of his lack of ability to see, right? He doesn't say, heal me, I'm short, make me taller. He just needs a tree. And so he climbs up high and he looks down on Jesus. Or he thinks he's looking down on Jesus. But while Zacchaeus is looking down, notice what happens. Jesus is looking up. And their eyes meet, presumably. And Jesus says to him that today Jesus himself must come to Zacchaeus' house. Now this must, it's, it's a, um, an expression of divine necessity. So Jesus is God and this is something he must do. In any event, Zacchaeus rejoices. He doesn't say, oh no, I don't have any food for this guy. He's invited himself to my house. He just rejoices. And he empties his pockets of all that he has stolen from his fellow Jews. And then some, right? He's gonna get, give back even more. And notice the order in the story. 
sighting and recognition, each man of the other, repentance and restitution on the part of Zacchaeus, and then Jesus's inside out invitation that brings salvation. That's what it says. It brings salvation to Jesus, to Zacchaeus and his household that day, that very day, today in the story. And the encounter fundamentally turns Zacchaeus around so that once was on his left is now on his right and what was once on his right is now on his left and he's not gonna steal anymore. He's gonna do the opposite. Repentance. But notice, Jesus doesn't say repent. Jesus doesn't command any of this. It's simply Jesus's gaze on Zacchaeus and Jesus's self-invitation that turns Zacchaeus inside out. So Zacchaeus is vertically challenged, but we ourselves may or may not be, depending on who we are, but we ourselves are chronologically challenged. A tree is not going to help us see Jesus. So we rely on the eyewitnesses of those who firsthand lived with Jesus who were healed by Jesus, who loved Jesus, who met him unbound after the tomb and who received his spirit. So the role of sight in passing on our faith runs throughout the passion narratives. I'm just gonna go through this quickly, especially those in the first three gospels. Those are the ones we call the synoptic gospels just because they agree, they see together synoptic. The verbs of seeing are pivotal in the narrative. The women at the cross and the tomb see, and what do they see? They see Jesus die on the cross, and they see where he was laid in the tomb. They go on the first day of the week to see the tomb. They see that the stone has been rolled away. They see that young man sitting at the side of the tomb. And they, they see that, well, it's an angel, um, invites them then to see again to witness where Jesus had been lain and where he is no longer. With their eyes, they witness all these things so that through their eyes and the writing down of everything they saw and witnessed, we can see and we are seen and we know and we are known, we find and we are found. Sight is not just a New Testament witness to God's promise and it's not only in our 
prophecy for this morning, the Habakkuk prophecy, it says he sees the oracle. Now that's kind of weird because usually you hear an oracle or maybe maybe the person gives an oracle, but you don't really write it down and not until, at least until this point. And he says to write it so that the runner can see it, right? Running by, so the runner doesn't even have to stop. It's gotta be clear so the runner can see it. And verbs of seeing also saturate our stories of God's election. Remember how God tells Abraham, Abram at this point, to look upon the land that God is giving him. And the Lord says to Abram, raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. Promise, Abram, is all around you. God's promise, just look, just raise your eyes and see. And later God will tell Abraham, remember this story too, to look to the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, God says to Abram, which of course he can't, that's the abundance of God's mercy, God's promise. And another place is in the episode where God reveals his name to Moses right before the giving of the law on Sinai. And there's this verse that's just really roundabout. Moses sees the angel of the Lord in the flame of the fire in the bush. Like how, how sideways can you get trying to just say, okay, Moses sees God. There's no direct description there, and that's important, of course, because God is not directly seen until we see God in Jesus. Seeing God's revelation is perplexing and overwhelming. It requires discernment and care and attention. And so what does Moses do? He says to himself, self, I must turn aside and look at this great sight, right? In English, you don't hear that, but it's in the Hebrew, believe me, it's the same word. And the narrator says that Mo Moses turned aside to see the flaming bush. And then that the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. And that is the condition for Lord, the Lord addressing Moses. And so the Lord then calls out to him by name and says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am, and he listens. So seeing there in those stories is key the, the perception of sight. And maybe this is fascinating to me because I have very bad vision, but it's fascinating. And then there's another prophecy from Lamentations that Handel incorporates into one of his deeply stirring arias. John is smiling over there. I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, 
in, in the Messiah. He says, uh, the words invite us to look on Jesus' passion. And they go like this. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Behold, look. Right there, it's look. Elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't always mean behold. It doesn't always mean see, visual perception, but it does there. Behold and see. And in the room where the disciples gather after what they assume has been the utter failure of their religious movement, they see these signs of Jesus' sorrow, and they look upon Jesus' sorrow. His wounds identify to the disciples who Jesus is. His wounds. Jesus, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, shows up and he shows himself to be the same guy. The resurrection hasn't changed that. The crucifixion hasn't changed that. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. See, it is I, he says to the disciples. Behold and see if there is any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Even in his resurrected body, those wounds are visible. This, he says, is my body given for you. The psalmist gives us an image of seeing the face of God. When we awake into resurrection life, we awake from this life, which is almost described as though sleep. We're asleep now, but we awake into the resurrection life. And what do we do? We see, right? At my vindication, I shall behold your face. I shall see your face. When I awake, when I awake, I shall be satisfied beholding your likeness. Now, who is that likeness? The Christian knows that likeness to be Jesus Christ. So the end time is going to find us waking up to behold Jesus with unveiled faces, as Paul says, taking that image from Moses, taking the, uh, receiving the law on Sinai, unveiled faces. But seeking God in our present sleep, of course, requires attention, opening our eyes, and our ears because the face of the Lord and the voice of the Lord they're everywhere kind of like Abraham you know Abram um, look northward look southward eastward and westward everywhere is promise and even now just as the Lord said to Zacchaeus today 
salvation has come to this house. And in Zacchaeus' own house, Jesus sets a table, even in the presence of his enemies. And for us, that's the Eucharist. That's the foretaste of this heavenly banquet of our awakening. The Eucharist that we're going to receive brings that heavenly table even into the todayness of our lives. And at the altar, we see, we behold the fair beauty of the Lord in his body crushed and his blood spilled, his sacrificial death for the life of the world. Behold and see such sorrow, a sorrow that nevertheless the psalmist calls fair beauty. Take that beautiful sorrow into your body and then go out into the world to look for the Lord of life. And this seeking is a continuous pilgrimage that will last our whole lives if we dedicate ourselves to it. And in that pilgrimage, we are transformed by Jesus's gaze, looking at us. Seek him, you will find him. He is seeking you. I close with a prayer of St. Anselm. O Lord, my God, teach my heart this day where and how to find you. You have made me and remade me, and you have bestowed on me all the good things I possess. And yet still, I do not know you. I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you, for I cannot seek you unless you teach me, or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you. Let me love you when I find you. Amen.